Well, just I have to. I couldn't think of anything better, but um, forgive me for this. If you heard this joke, but uh, this is one of the probably the top ten of most used Protestant jokes in in the history of the world. You know, there was a man who was caught in a flood, and and then the boat came. They said, "There's a flood. You need to come with us." And the man said, "No, I'm trusting in God. I'm trusting in God." So the boat goes, and then it starts raining more, and and it's getting higher. So a second boat comes, and they say. Mister, you need to come with us. You're going to die. There's a, the flood is not stopping. And he says, I'm trusting in God. So the water is up to the rooftop, and he's on the rooftop. And a helicopter comes, and he says, you got to come with us now. You have no chance. And then he says, no, I'm trusting in God. He's going to take care of me. And it kept raining, and he got washed down, and he drowned and died. And then he goes to God and says, God, what happened? You know, he said to heaven, and he's accepted by God, and he goes, God, what happened? You know, uh, and God says, I sent you a, two boats and a helicopter, and you, you didn't take it. And, and, and there's, there's so many different versions of that, right? And, and you want to take out the grain of salt, does God really? But, but I want to just point out a sliver of truth in that joke, right? It's that sometimes we miss the signal and the sign of God by presuming we're waiting on God. I mean, that's the humor of that joke, isn't it? That God is really trying to con- get your attention, but because we're trying to see God's attention in our way, we could actually miss God. And that joke actually has a profound underbelly. And this idea we get to today is signs. Like, a lot of people say, how do I know God's real? What's the sign? Can I have a sign, God? If God could just come here right now, I would give him my heart and believe in him. And a lot of us, a lot more of us than you, than you would think, wrestle with that. I believe, but it'd be nice if God could just come down and say, boo, oh, <laughs> you are God. And the, in the Bible, Romans chapter 120, it says this, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. In other words, the Bible is telling us, yes, God's invisible, but if you look around the world, he has given everything he needs to let the people know there is a God. So we get to the story in Matthew with that in mind, and we, we get to a point where the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, go to Jesus and say, teacher, right? They say, we want to see a miraculous sign from you. Now, just I want to give the Pharisees a benefit down here. Don't raise your hand, but haven't we asked that question? Show me a sign, God. I mean, haven't we said, prove at one point, you got to show me that you're real? There's nothing wrong with that. You know, there's nothing wrong with asking a question. We don't want to just simply believe. You know, the old days of, God, uh, Dad, why do I need to believe? Because I said so. Okay, you know, that, that's, that doesn't have work with this generation anymore. You don't go to them and say, go to church. Why? Because you're going to believe in God and you're going to like it. All right. It might have worked like 30, 40, 50 years ago, but kids are smart these days. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're not going to... Kids, my generation, you dare not ask questions to parents like, you know, can God make a rock so big that he can't lift it? My dad would be like, let's go to church. Just, you know. <laughs> but the kids ask really good questions. Not just kids, but adults now. Most of the people who don't go to church are those who went to church. And then now they're like, wait a minute, do I really believe in this? 
So we have this, we have the same question. What sign do I know? I mean, how can I know that this is all true? So the Pharisees ask a very fair question, but if we look at the context, because you look at Jesus' response to their question, first four words, a wicked and adulterous. You're like, whoa, cool it, Jesus. What's, you see, wake up on the wrong side of the bed? But we have to look at the context. So in chapter 12, what we realize is Jesus and the disciples are being scrutinized and they're being checked by the, disciple, uh, the, by the Pharisees. In Matthew 12 alone, they're, they're hungry, so they're eating grain on Sabbath and they're getting picked on by the Pharisees. Why are you eating on the Sabbath? Why are you picking grain? Verse 9 through 13, Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath, a, a shriveled up hand, and he goes, is it wrong to heal on the Sabbath? And he heals him. And this is what the Pharisees say. Well, this is what they thought. Verse, but the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. So Jesus does a miracle on Sabbath. And the Pharisees, did you catch that? They see a miracle. What did they just ask two seconds later? Can you show us a miraculous sign? And this is the irony of it, the blindness of it. They see a miracle and they say, that's cool, how do we kill him? <laughs> you know? And there's just the blindness of these religious, self-righteous Pharisees. And thirdly, verse 22:32, if you know this text, you know what they accuse Jesus of? You must be Satan. I mean, they claim Jesus is Satan. So in that context, they ask Jesus, show us a sign, and then Jesus responds, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign. So, you know, I was thinking, why would they ask these questions? The three reasons why people ask for signs, in, in my thought. One is, a lot of us ask this question, is it true? I think they're asking the question because they really want to know, is it true? Is it true about what Jesus, is it true what Christians believe? Some of you are growing up, and some of you are asking that question, I know it, but is it true? Second type of people, I think they ask, I grew up in the church, I want to find out a deeper. I don't want to just know David Goliath. I want to know substance. And they ask, can you give me a sign? Can I have a little bit more? They're having a faith problem, and the word faith, defined by Webster's Dictionary, is this. Strong belief or trust in someone or something. And a lot of you might be in there too. We're 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80. And we're saying, do I really believe in this? We have a faith problem. Faith is not this spiritual religious stuff. It's what do I trust in? Some of us, we trust our bank accounts. <laughs> Ooh, big number. Okay, life is good. God is good. But your trust is not in God. It's in this number. So we have a faith problem. But the Bible defines faith by nature as something you can't see, right? Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. In other words, friends, you can't have faith when you ask for concrete evidence. You know, that's not by definition faith. Faith is, I can't see it, but I believe it. For example, when my wife goes to Vons to buy grocery shop, I have faith she's not going to ditch my family and go marry Brad Pitt and go to Hawaii and live there. I have faith in my wife that I have confidence in her that despite me being a dork, she'll come back home and be my wife and still, you know, stick with me. There's a level of faith. How do I know that? Because I track her with a secret GPS. <laughs> That's how I do it. That's why iPhones are great. 
Actually, you can't do that, but that's not what I do. So there's this faith that I can't see it. How can I know that she'll be with me? You can't see it. That's faith. There's a level of faith and confidence and trust. So we ask for signs because we're wrestling with that. Gosh, I want to believe. I want to have faith. I want to have confidence in the unseen. Gosh, I need something a little bit more. There's some of us like that. But the focus today is the third type. They ask for signs because they've already made a judgment. He's not real. Show me signs so I could show you that it's fake. See, the Pharisees were not looking for a way to say, Jesus, I want to believe so much. They were what? We want reasons to kill you. And their motive was, how do we get rid of you? So Jesus says, this is a wicked generation to ask for a sign. So I want to parse that. If some of you said, God, show me yourself, that's not wicked and evil. <laughs> when people are already condemning Jesus and they ask for signs to get more ammunition, Jesus is saying, that's wicked. Again, ironically, Jesus just did a miracle, so they're not seeing. So Jesus says this, you're not going to get any sign or miracle except for one. You guys catch that? What was it? The sign of the prophet Jonah. So we read Jonah today. Uh, what happened in Jonah? God says to Jonah, go to Nineveh. And, and Jonah says, heck no. So he goes to Tarshish. He goes on a boat away, and then God says, Psh, I don't know. I don't know if God does it like that. The wave comes, and then the people are like, what's going on? And then they say, it must be you. And Jonah's like, it is. You got me. Uh, basically, I'm running away from God. And they're saying, and these are pagans. You're what? No, listen, if you want to rebel, that's great. But why are you dragging us into this? So Jonah says, throw me overboard. And then they say, they, they have the wherewithal to say, no, we can't just kill an innocent man. Isn't that interesting? Foreshadowing. A couple thousand years later, people will kill an innocent man to, you know, for no reason. Anyway, Jonah, they're like, no, we're going to try to work it out. And then they, they can't get going. So Jonah gets thrown overboard. And he gets swallowed by a big fish. Not a whale, but it could be, depending on the Hebrew. But he gets swallowed, and then three days, three nights, when you're in the belly of a fish, do you have the cot and the bathroom in your own kitchen? You're, a lot of us think he died. And the Hebrew in Jonah chapter 2, 2, when Jonah prays, I was sent to the dead, the word is sheol, sheol in Hebrew, that's hell. In our Apostles' Creed, where do we hear that? He was crucified, dead and buried. He descended into where? Hell. There is this direct parallel. Jesus is saying, let me show you a sign. You will get nothing except for one. The Son of Man will die. He'll go to hell. He'll be in the earth three days and three nights. So anyway, there's that connection. So Jesus is showing us this Jonah story is profoundly foreshadowing, and it's not just a tale. By the way, I was studying this, and did you guys catch this? Jonah is not referred to as a mythic allegory to Jesus. In Jesus' description, that really happened. Some of us are like, oh, Bible's got a bunch of stories. But if you look at how Jesus talks about Adam and Eve, they're real people to him. It actually happened. Jonah was a real person to Jesus, not a, just a story. 
You know, I could say Rapunzel, Rapunzel. I know Rapunzel. You know, that's a story. But Jesus is talking about there was a guy, Jonah, and he disobeyed God. So Jesus is saying this is the evidence that shows. Let me show you that sign. So I want to wrap this up and say, what, what is Jesus teaching us? Two things. What is, what is the takeaway here? What is the takeaway? Number one, for those of us asking for signs, I think this is, this is it. Jesus' death and resurrection is the clearest sign to the world. That is the sign. That God is who he says he is. That we are who the Bible says we are. And that God is moving to redeem and claim the world for himself. Jesus is telling us the sign that you need. Let me give you the sign of all signs. I will die. I will, three days later, I will rise again. You know, um, in Luke chapter 18, verse 33, he says this so many times to his disciples. You know, I, I don't know how I'm going to die. I'm not trying to be funny. I really don't know. Like, do any of you know how you're going to die? You wrote in your journal? I mean, when Jesus is saying, let me be specific here. The Son of Man will be handed over. He will be spit on, beaten, whipped, nailed to the tree, die and rise again in three days. That's pretty detailed. Here's what I know. I'm going to die crying like a little baby. That's how I'm going to die. That's the closest to my reality I might be. I don't know. I'm being silly because we don't know. But Jesus is predicting his own death. And he's telling the Pharisees, this is a sign for you that God is God. In other words, for us in this season, Easter is a big deal. Amen? Amen. It is not just a holiday that we have on the calendar that we have special worship. For me, we base our faith on facts, not emotions. What's the fact? 2,000 years ago, a man lived. His name was Jesus. He claimed to be God. He died. And then 500 people say they saw him walking alive and living. And people changed their hearts. Jews turned away from worshiping on Saturday and started worshiping on Sunday because that's the day Jesus rose again. And this guy named Saul changes his life, gives his life for the Lord, turns 180 and becomes a Christian after killing Christians? Are you kidding me? What is the sign? Something happened in the world. It wasn't like, let's have more love. <laughs> but something concrete happened. So Jesus is saying, you saw Jonah? Let me tell you. If a rebellious prophet runs away from God, he goes to Nineveh. By the way, this is what Jonah preached. Best preacher in the world. 40 days and Nineveh will be overturned. That's it. One line. And the whole city of Nineveh repented. I'm like, I need to go to his seminary. And where he learned that... <laughs> Because, wow, short point to the point. And this is what Jesus is saying. If that happened with Jonah, there is one greater than Jonah that is here today. Who is he referring to? Himself. So he's saying to the Pharisees, guys, Pharisees, Jewish, Christian, uh, Jewish religious folks, you know God, great. There was a pagan city named Nineveh who despised and were sacrificing babies. They were doing some nasty stuff. And Jonah preached one line, this weird human prophet, and they repented. There is one greater than Jonah here standing before you. And this is the sign. This is how Jesus is the greater Jonah. 
Jonah preached destruction. Jesus preaches the kingdom has come. Hallelujah. Can you imagine if Jesus came and said, you're all dead, 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 dead. Woo, you're all dead, messed up. We wouldn't have Christianity. Jesus came. If you want to be first, you must be last. For the Son of Man came not even to be served, but to serve. He says what? The kingdom has come. Tell the world. Jesus preaches the kingdom. Jonah preached judgment. Jesus is a better Jonah because Jonah went grudgingly, right? Jonah didn't make that his first choice. He went because he was getting swallowed by fish. Jesus came. He was in the throne of God. He comes down and he says, I will go. Jesus is a greater Jonah because Jonah was imprisoned by the fish for his sins. Jesus was imprisoned in hell for your sins and my sins. That's good news right there. See, Jesus is using Jonah's story to say, if that was Jonah, can you imagine what the greater Jonah will do in your life and my life? And he's standing right before you. But you Pharisees are so self-righteous, you're not even hearing this, are you? I think there's a warning here for the church today. We have a nice church. We're religious. I'm a good person. And I think Jesus is saying to us, be careful. Be careful. Because those who find confidence in their self-righteousness, they get blinded. And they're like the man who was on the rooftop saying, God, I trust in God. And they never see the work of God, even if he's right in front of us. Jesus is showing that this is a proof, this is a reality. You know how I know that's true? Did you catch that line when Jesus says this? The men of Nineveh will stand up at judgment with this generation and condemn it. Do you know how crazy that is? You see that pagan city many hundred years ago? Some of them who repented will ironically end up judging you guys, wearing nice robes, knowing the Bible, knowing the rituals, guess what? They're going to be judging you. How is that possible? Because God is a God who's going to the Jews and Gentiles. And then he further accentuates that point to say, because the greater Jonah is here, the queen of the south. Who's the queen of the south? Anybody? Sheba, yeah, queen of Sheba. You know who queen of Sheba was? Solomon had like only 700 wives. And um, he, he, he got to know this queen from the south, Sheba, and she came. She was so impressed by Lord Jehovah God. She praised him. And she was not even a Jew. And what does Jesus say? This woman, who was not a Jew, she will rise up. And guess what? She will be ending judging you guys. Wow. If I was a Jew standing right there, this is where I'd pick up my rocks and throw it at Jesus. Really, I mean, you cannot offend Jewish teachers more than that. But what is Jesus' point? You're not saved by your good works or your religiosity. You're not saved because you're better than anybody else. You're saved because you've been lost and the Son of Man, the greater Jonah, has come and he's claiming you. And the proof is he died. Three days later, he rose again. I say this to some of youth group kids and adults when they're like, how do you know Jesus' Christianity is true? I say this is very easy for me. I, it's not because I'm a pastor. 
You take away the story of the resurrection and the cross and Jesus Christ, you destroy Christianity. We're just fluffed then. There's nothing that, that, there's nothing that distinguishes us from any other religion. In fact, it's even better because I know other religions who are way more friendlier than us. But what makes this the sign is that there was a man who died and rose again. And if they took out the body of Jesus and said, here's his bones and here's Jesus, we are the greatest fools. We should be playing golf right now. Amen? Maybe you're like, well, that's weird. <laughs> we should not be singing, it is well with my soul. We should be singing, it was almost well with my soul until I found out this was a lie. But the life transformation of people throughout 2,000 years and the Holy Spirit working and that Jesus Christ is alive today is the sign for you and me. I don't have science. I can't give you evidence, but I could give you proof in this one thing. The tomb was empty. He is risen. And that's why Easter gives us hope. That's why, brothers and sisters, if the greater Jonah has come, you are not hopeless wherever you are. Hallelujah. If death and sin cannot hold you, you think earthly troubles will? I don't think so. So Jesus is saying, the greater Jonah has come. Lastly, this is an application I think I'm hearing. This is last one minute. Jesus is saying, the church, guess what your mission is? We don't gather to say, whoo, high five, the greater Jonah came, saved us, we're good. His point is, get out there. God didn't just save Israel. He saved the whole world. He saved the gangs. He saved the sexual, you know, immoral people. He saved homosexuals and heterosexuals. He saved the adulterers. He saved North Korea. He's saving China. He's saving Middle East. And he's saying to the church, don't look down upon them as Jonah did. The greater Jonah has come, and in him, the whole world can be redeemed. Wow. I don't know about you, but unless you were born to a Jewish family, we should all say hallelujah because we are all Gentiles. And this is why God is so amazing. And this is why Easter is so powerful. And as we enter into this time of reflection, Palm Sunday, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Easter, may that instill faith and confidence that God is who he says he is. And that Jesus is worthy of our praise. Amen? Let's bow our heads in prayer. God, I thank you that the simple message that we hear as children that Jonah was swallowed by a big fish, it rings so much truer and more profound that that's pointing us to the Messiah that will come. Jesus, thank you for taking my place and our place on the cross, for taking our sins when we should have paid but you, the innocent one, took our place and you rose again. God, may our church find confidence and joy and hope in the realization that we don't worship a God who stands afar and is distant and is like this daddy who doesn't want to touch us, but you're a God who gets messy and comes to get us. And we see that in Jesus. So thank you, Jesus. We love you. We want to be in you. We want to be formed like you. 
and we take the words of John 14, 6, that you indeed said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And we say hallelujah, that you're the great Jonah who came to save sinners like ourselves. We pray this in your most holy name. Amen.